All right. So here we are, Professor Latinx, and it's actually 24 hours before SoulCon Extravaganza Yay. starts the Brown and Black Comics Expo. Whoop. Exciting. <laughs> I am so excited. So we have Chris Gonzalez uh, all the way from Utah visiting us, who's a mm-hmm. former PhD of ours. Nicole, who's a current PhD oh, with God. us. And mm-hmm. Peyton, who's finishing yes. her master's. Um, and hopefully we'll continue on and be a PhD. But yeah, we're here to talk about Latinx representation, comics, everything, um, especially in sort of the the sort of, you know, lead up to SoulCon 2019. So with my guest here, I want to throw out this question. When was the last time you saw yourself represented in the media? I don't know, Nicole, you want to... Grab sure. this one. Sure, sure. I'll go ahead. Um, it's really it's a tricky question for me to answer because I'm fat, and so it's like in and of itself, like out of the bat, I'm like, oh, faith and comics, I guess, or Raven Simone, and that's so Raven, but mm. they don't, they're not me. I'm Puerto Rican, like 100. percent Like I don't think I've ever seen myself represented like as myself, like someone who's fat, who's Puerto Rican, or etc. Born and raised outside of the U.S. I don't think I've ever seen that. So it's really tricky and really sad. <laughs> really, tr- and yeah. W- yeah, really sad. Can you go a little, <laughs> take us a little down that path? Yeah. So, um, so growing up, I would um, obviously I speak Spanish, like that's my main language, and I would force myself to like watch Disney Channel, watch all these channels because you need to know English and you need to speak it with like the least amount of accent and do all of these things. But the people I grew up emulating um, in the way that they were speaking did not look like me in any way, shape or form. Uh, and so it's just a thing that I just wasn't raised watching. Um, and even like famous people on Puerto Rican TV, like they're all usually white Um Usually, they come from uh, wealthier backgrounds. They just don't look like me. They don't have my hair. They don't. They don't. Literally, it's not. I just don't see myself, and it's really sad. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I'll leave it there. Okay. Yeah, sad. <laughs> really sad. I yeah. don't know, Payne. Do you want to pick up? Yeah, I think for a while, um, being a lesbian Latina who is light skinned, I was always having to pick and choose. Um, you know, which which part of me is there, um, especially like I the, the L word is being rebooted. And that was something that I always enjoyed watching as like a very guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, but the Latina characters weren't actually Latina. They cast um, yep. Indian American characters or people to represent those characters. And so they didn't necessarily look like me, even if the, the character was supposed to be more like me. I think the recently I started watching One Day at a Time and I felt that yeah yeah for (laughs) sure um Elena was probably the closest that I've gotten because she her Spanish isn't really good she's seen as the pocha of her family and she's light-skinned she's lesbian um I think that that is like and she's just awesome (laughs) she's a total um I don't want to swear you can swear. Okay, she's a total <laughs> badass. Um, yeah, and she's feminist, and she is passionate about activism, and I think that that is like one of the characters that I latched onto. And then, of course, they were like, "Yeah, let's get rid of that show." And I've heard that it's coming back, so thank goodness for that. But yeah, 
Yeah, that's great. I love that. Uh, me too. I love that show too. Mm-hmm. And I was so, so sad when they said mm-hmm. they were going to, yeah. I didn't understand it, but yeah. Um, social media and us basically saying no, um, <laughs> right. have brought it back. So mm-hmm. we will get some more Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, uh, last time I saw myself, Represented, um, I kind of agree with Nicole. I've never seen it. Uh, never, um, I've never seen an instance where you have, say, a six foot two, two hundred fifty pound Latino <laughs> who has a PhD and mm-hmm. likes to write uh, represented. Um, sometimes I've been I've been compared favorably to Dwayne the Rock Johnson, <laughs> um, and that's that's in my you know my better days i think that yeah <laughs> I, of course i compare to him but um uh, but aside from that no i don't see myself and it's i think what we're all touching upon is that you know latinx identity is so varied mm-hmm. it is so um it takes many different forms and expressions and when we've only been given a small sampling uh that appears over and over and over again. Of course, that's how we get stereotypes, but it's also how we get such limited representation mm-hmm. uh, in, in, uh, in, in particular in uh, visual media. We, we all know that visual media is so powerful. Uh, it helps shape popular culture. It helps shape uh, people's understandings of what it means to be Latino, Latina in this uh, country. And so if we're not getting that robust, uh, widely varied um, expressions of Latinidad, then, um, you know, then we have people who are doing a podcast talking about (laughs) why don't we see ourselves and when was the last time? So uh, in short, I'm still waiting for it. Um, What I have to do is what a lot of, um, you know, audiences from historically marginalized communities have to do is they have to imagine themselves as someone else. You know, when I was a kid, I had to imagine myself as Luke Skywalker, the Anglo, you know, you know, blonde headed, you know, savior of the universe. Um, I clearly was not that, but I still tried to align with that with that particular character. And so, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a frustrating thing. Right. And 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 I'm. I'm happy for these opportunities such as this to be able to talk about that. Yeah, you know, um, stereo. You guys talked about stereotypes, um, not seeing ourselves in the sort of full complexity that we are in terms of, you know, height and skin color and you know width and everything, all the different <laughs> shapes that we happen to be, language, um, and yet. You know, some people are like, well, you know, that's too much. Or, you know, how are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? Mm-hmm. And so, well, we can throw, we'll, um, you know, we'll do this. We'll, you know, you know, we'll create, we'll throw out America and we'll create a comic book where we have a Latinx, mm-hmm. you know, queer superhero. But then, of course, they have to make her from another planet, right? Of course. Right. Um, you know, she can't be too close to home. Mm-hmm. And I see this all the time, Shazam, the movie, right? I was mm-hmm. so excited because we got like a full like representation finally with, you know, all these different multi-ethnic identified superheroes that comes, of course, toward the end. But then the family, right, the foster family, they're supposed to be U.S. Latino, and they cast mm-hmm. the mama as a, by a Spaniard, which is so typical, right? Mm-hmm. We have a Spaniard... And we're like, it's not like we don't have our own, 
you know, actors out there that could do this. Mm-hmm. And for the papa, and you know, they did a great job, but it's he's Samoan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking, you know, Dwayne Johnson, mm-hmm. you know, as being like a referent for Chris Gonzalez out there. <laughs> Well, you know, let right. the record show that <laughs> the Rock and I are. No, I'm kidding. You're actually twins. You're his doppelganger. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. On his better day. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> He's my stunt double. Uh, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So it seems like the more money, the more money, the more um, money producers, the more fear there is that somehow representing putting us in front of the camera putting us behind the camera writing getting things mm-hmm. right there's this fear that somehow what will drive audiences away yeah of course we're taking over don't you know like <laughs> of course don't you watch the news obviously they're afraid they're gonna lose their jobs why would they cast us i, I would also say that i i think it's just sheer ignorance and and um in addition to that, just uh, a kind of arrogance to say we don't – we, meaning the executives, yeah. uh, who greenlight projects, who are you know involved in you know casting decisions, that they don't have to take the time to understand a little bit about Latinx culture and mm-hmm. the people that mm-hmm. they think they should acknowledge occasionally, but they don't take the time to actually bring someone in because they clearly don't know. They don't take the time to bring someone in. Perhaps that's fear. Uh, I think it's just arrogance that they have gone this long without having to accurately portray uh, and represent, um, you know, people from the Latinx community that they feel that they don't have to um, until you know they hear this podcast or um, <laughs> you know uh, you know uh, other um, continued criticisms of, of of what we see in Hollywood. But uh, yeah, fear and just. Um, a a a willful uh, neglect of trying to capture this ever growing demographic and you know people who purchase tickets to go to movies right mm-hmm. uh, and 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 they tune in and they pay for these streaming uh, services and you know to to not acknowledge that um, I think is 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 to their detriment and. Ultimately, I you know, and we're starting to see some of this. Perhaps this this affects their bottom line, and then that's what gets them to kind of look to other places for advice and how to proceed. I'm wondering too if like it has to do with people um, in these positions, like worrying more about like the terminology political correctness rather than like seeing people as humans in all of the facets that they're bringing to the table. Um, And just like, instead of doing it and as you said, educating themselves before they go into it, they try to just like slap a bandaid on the problem and then are like upset when people are like, no, you didn't, you didn't fix the problem Um, under the guise of, well, like that now people are too politically correct or too much of this or too much of that. You're expecting too much. Yeah, I hear that actually with, you know, some of my colleagues that, that kind of, um, have admitted to me, sometimes I don't know what to say. What if, what if I'm Mm going to say the wrong thing? Um, and, and I think that's a valid concern, Mm -hmm. but I, I'm not sure that's the 
perhaps the issue that some of these executives have that they're they're not necessarily worried that they're going to say the wrong thing. They say the wrong things all the time, yeah. right? <laughs> and they're rewarded for it. Um, but um, it, it is it is uh, an invitation to a conversation to say yeah. the reason that the four of us, um, you know, not only because we have so much contact hours with uh, just so many Latinos that we have as friends and family members and colleagues, but you know, just even in this room, we can see that we're a varied demographic. Mm -hmm. And so that, therefore, it's easier to see us as humans rather than I've never met a Latino in my life. And Mm -hmm. I've only just seen one particular, you know, stereotypical rendition of that. And so therefore, I'm going to assume and make that assumption Mm -hmm. that all Latinos have dark skin, Mm -hmm. that all Latinos have dark hair, or that they are of diminutive stature, or, you know, X, Y, Z. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, there, I don't mean to kind of take away from the idea that some people, um, uh, uh, want to be educated and they're afraid to say the wrong thing. But I think those who are in, in power in this country uh, tend to say whatever they want to say <laughs> first and then just deal with the ramifications yeah. after. Yeah, I was reading. Sorry, I'm reading for candidacy. So I'm like, yeah, there's a book about this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so there's this book. I'm forgetting the name, so I'm not even going to try. But the it was written by Monica White and Dunu. And she explores basically the money situation behind Hollywood and like why black films um, don't get as much money, as much revenue. There's not that much of representation. Um, And she explains uh, uh, that for a really long time and still truly uh, black films were seen as niche. And Mm -hmm. so why would I fund this if people don't care? Like Mm -hmm. uh, people who aren't black won't care about black stories. Why would I fund these? Mm -hmm. And so like black directors had to find alternative modes of getting their projects funded. Mm -hmm. And so, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. But that there's something there, like Mm -hmm. they don't have us, like we're not up there green lighting these projects. Mm -hmm. Um, So why would they care? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's sad, but it's true. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, well, and then we had Ryan Coogler come on right. the stage mm-hmm. with right Black Panther mm-hmm. and showed the world that mm-hmm. actually not only can we you know have folks of color on the screen and behind the screen, but guess what? Those producers, well, pay. well yeah. yeah, they're gonna make bank on <laughs> yeah. this one, right? Yeah, uh, it, it, I think it's still in the top ten grossing yeah. films of all time. Absolutely, um, yeah. and so yeah, it's. But, you know, in a way, not in a way, but that is sad, right, that it takes a superlative effort, you know, you know, a history-making effort mm-hmm. to make, you know, people in positions of power say, oh, you know what, yeah, mm-hmm. a film like this can be successful. It can spawn perhaps even more successes afterward rather than than saying, well, there's no reason to believe why – a particular kind of film cannot also, you know, um, uh, be a success based on, well, we've never seen this before. Right. Or why would someone want to see a cast primarily of, you know, uh, you know, black, you know, actors, um, you know, helmed by a black director? Like, oh, you know, this is this is unheard of. Well, yes, it is unheard of. Right. Um, but I also think that this is an important point to note that the pressure 
that had to be on Coogler and everyone who put that film together. Because oh, yeah. if they got mm-hmm. it wrong, mm-hmm. if they got that film wrong, that's it. Like, mm-hmm. you, like we were never going to see anything approaching um, the risk that they took with Black Panther. All right, I'm going to flip our table because we've been giving the mainstream a lot of attention and they don't need it, right? True, true. So let's talk about actually the fact that we aren't sitting back and kind of, you know, letting this happen. There, We are like actively creating and transforming in different spaces. And we have SoulCon, you know, tomorrow all about bringing brown and black comic book creators to the campus, to the city of Columbus. And Peyton, in fact, uh, as a creator of comics, Ooh. is here with us. Um, so I want to really celebrate and talk about the fact that, well, comics has become a space for us to share our stories and the very intricately complex and different stories within our community. Peyton, I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, so I I had never, like, I was never, I would have wouldn't have considered myself to be like an artist of any sort in terms of like at least visual art. I wrote poetry, but um, I actually went to the exhibit and read cover to cover Tales from La Vida. And I was super um, just blown away by how the art styles differentiated so much, but the stories were so cohesive. Um, and so I was like, it was, I was actually going through, um, I was going through the moment that I wanted to make my comic about and I had recently come out to my mom and it wasn't, I love her, (laughs) love you mom, (laughs) but it wasn't going as well as um, I had hoped and I was, I had just moved to Columbus, Um, I was trying to figure out what Latinidad looked like for me here, I was trying to figure out what this newfound queerness looked like for me um, and how I could be both of those things always, all the time Um, and so yeah, I I was like, if I want to think about what queerness and Latinidad can look like, why can't I explore this visual medium? And so um, I think that's what's inviting about comics is that I was I had never done it before. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know the right, quote unquote, right technologies. Um, but I was like, well, I'm going to make it happen. Um, and so I did. And it was it was fun and exciting and weird. And now it's out there and yeah, you're debuting tom- tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Right? Um, wings. Yep, winging it. Winging it. Um, mm-hmm. Why? Tell us why winging it. Um, winging it. Yeah. Um, so that that's it's okay. So my comic it explores um, that I love femininity, um, particularly I'm focusing on eyeliner and eyeliner practices, <laughs> and growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood where girls only wore under eyeliner and my mom always taught me to wing my eyeliner only on the upper side but then on top of it um winging it in terms of like just putting your story out there you don't like don't over prepare don't like think about it too much be authentic and wing it (laughs) fantastic so yeah i don't know um chris did you want to yeah um I, i i was i was struck by your um your use of the visual to express um, like what we might call like troubled beauty mm-hmm. like standards mm-hmm. and how they're um, how they're rooted culturally too mm-hmm. and so you know when when you when you invoke 
your mother's advice or, or your mm-hmm. admonition that you know you, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was that was really powerful. And and the other thing that I wanted to to kind of note is that the comic is pretty brief, mm-hmm. and yet I mean it's 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 not a long story, but you're able to express so much just in the pages that you have. And I think that uh, that that kind of underscores the power of like visual verbal storytelling, mm. right? Um, that, um, that, that you're able to um, kind of do something with, with, with this uh, issue that is so important to you in a very compressed and condensed format, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if, if you can talk about like, yeah. Was that a difficult thing for you to like express so much and just really just uh, several pages really? I think I, I think that was also part of why comics was like the mode of comic a comic book was so um, alluring to me because I wanted to talk about makeup. I wanted to talk about the fact that I was always pressured to dye my hair lighter. Um, I was I was always pressured to express femininity, and um, I had just got my undercut actually, which was like the first time I really explored a visual form of queerness, and I felt seen. And so I was like doing all of these things, and I was like, how in the world am I going to fit this into? Um, like one thing because it it feels like too much to even you know it feels like too much to deal with on paper but I'm dealing with it in my life so um I do think that the visual just helped me you know put it all together I because I I would use um there's like one panel that I'm thinking of and I it's like I would title the panel like colonial conditioner because it's um I put in there like the the brand of the bottle um, of conditioner that my mom would tell me to use because I didn't want to tell anyone that I was um, lightening my hair. So she would be like, oh, you should um, tell them that you're using this lightening conditioner. Um, And then just like I have these uh, quotes that I heard from family members about when I wanted to stop doing that. Um, And within that one panel, I think, says like so much about the pressure to be white passing sometimes and um how that for some of my family members that is a survival mechanism and it it isn't necessarily like poorly intentioned Mm -hmm. um but it is harmful and all of the traumas in that one panel um really felt good to get out there (laughs) nicole what do you where where are you with comics today where are you (laughs) interfacing i know you know we've we have some great creators coming to town like brina nunez Featured also in Latinx Superheroes, uh, the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, others, Chris Escobar, so many that are kind of, you know, able to bring this richness and variety of who we are, right, and the complexity of who we are um, to others and invite us to feel something. Well, okay. Um, I'll, I'll bite, sure. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, comics. Um Comics and I have a complicated relationship. <laughs> I love it, right? Uh, like growing up, I I think X Men was my my go to for sure. Mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of comic stores in Puerto Rico, so <laughs> I could, I only had like one that ended up closing, and then the other one I had to drive like an hour away for. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's very limited. Um, so Storm was like my oh my gosh, she's beautiful, <laughs> and I love her, and I want to be her, but I I don't look like her, so there's that. Um, so that's out the window. Uh, in the last couple of years, we got La Borinquena, um, mm-hmm. which 
there are, there are <laughs> things to say about it, of course, and I'm not going to bore you all with it. Uh, but I have my own gripes with this whole question of, and I guess we're going back to what Peyton said at the beginning of the conversation of having to pick what I want to mm -hmm. focus on and what do I want to see myself in. And so I, it's really heartbreaking, but as an Afro-Latina, I find myself like, not necessarily looking at Latinx representation, but looking at African-American representation mm -hmm. because I'm like, well, I definitely don't see myself in the Latinx representation. I don't have, you know, the straight, beautiful hair. I've never had it. I'll, I never will. I straightened my hair my whole life until I stopped doing it a couple of years ago and so on <laughs> and so forth. Colonial, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> Colonialism. <laughs> ah. uh, With hair. Decolonize <laughs> your hair. Yeah, it's horrible. Ah. Um, and so what I'm, I'm, not presenting anything. I'm talking. I'm just presenting a paper tomorrow. Um, and I'm talking about cyborg and black masculinity, which is an area that I really like in my scholarship and I'm really interested in and um, bodies and how bodies kind of like get taken apart. And it's a thing that we kind of don't necessarily see. So basically, my whole thing is meta humanity. And mm. so there's this scene in the last Justice League, in the latest Justice League movie, where um, the bad guy basically breaks a cyborg apart or like breaks off like his leg or something like that and cyborg is just lying there. Superman um, flies down. It's like, are you okay? And he's like, yep. And Superman just flies off like it was nothing. Mm -hmm. And of course, like he's cyborg. He's more machine than human, right? Um, but then how do we read that when it's a black body constantly? Mm -hmm. And so I discovered... Um, a reimagining of Frankenstein called Destroyer. Um, and so a woman who is a descendant of Victor Frankenstein has her son shot down by police in like an act of police brutality and she brings him back. Mm -hmm. But then it's also this whole backing, like going back to this whole conversation of not seeing the black male body as human mm -hmm. or what happens when we see it as more than human. Mm -hmm. We still want to destroy it. Um, And so that's where I'm at. Mm. And it's a very dark place. Mm. Yeah. But it's 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 something that I keep seeing constantly in different iterations of blackness and black heroes. Um, so there's that. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I don't know if anyone wants to touch that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I totally, um, you know, co-sign what you said about um, how uh, black bodies are – not only represented or or um, conceived of, yeah, right uh, in our in 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 this nation's history and in our, our popular culture, um, uh, but 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 if I could you know kind of just oh, yeah, go ahead. take take one more step, um, I think that um, one of the powerful things that that comics allows for is the ability to create your own comic without necessarily needing the help of a giant, you know, <laughs> billion dollar corporation. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, and so that right there is, is an empowering move to be able to claim or yeah. reclaim, say the black body. Yeah. Right. Um, because the example you gave was cyborg, which yeah. is a DC character. Mm hmm. Uh, and DC has had some wonderful writers um, who who are who are um, able to speak with authority uh, on issues of um, marginality or, or or even race. Um, David Walker, yeah, da David Soul David Khan. David Walker is who I was thinking yeah. of in particular. Um, but 
uh, yeah. So, so, but, it, but if we, if it's like, how do we reclaim that? Yeah. How, how does, how, how, how are we able to kind of take that, that back? Well, it's, it starts by creating, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which is what we were talking about before. Yeah. It's like so there, there's a story here, and I'm, and I'm going. I have, I have the ability to draw. I have the ability to write, or maybe I don't, mm-hmm. right? But I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and or I'm going to write as David Walker does, and then mm-hmm. someone else creates the visual mm-hmm. art uh, based on the scripts that uh, uh, David creates. So, um, uh, th- th- kind of tying this back to SoulCon, um, I. I, I what what I love about this particular event is that it that it brings together so many creators, regardless of status, right? David Walker is a huge, he's like a giant in in you know the comics industry and and, and the stories that 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 he's able to write, and yet there are also creators who are you know just kind of you know starting out, right? Or they're um, this is you know something that that they have found passion in and and they want to express their stories and 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 and, and to put their stories out there and to create art and it's received with equal enthusiasm mm-hmm. um, that right there I think is indicative of the power that uh comics have right mm-hmm. it's 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 that it's that hey all you need right is just a couple of things in your imagination and then you can get your story out to an audience maybe not as many as cyborg right <laughs> but um but but those voices matter too mm-hmm. right those um those instances and opportunities where someone it's like a you know you know DIY I I'm I'm going to tell my own story and it may be rough and but you know what sometimes those stories get picked up by a lot of people. I mean, there are countless web comics that or are really kind of like roughly drawn, but they're compelling stories, and they and they get picked up by mass audiences. Um, so yeah, I, I I I am looking forward to this event, and and but in particular because of the wide array of creators that that descend upon Columbus and are able to talk to you. They're able to, to carry on a conversation about what it took to uh, create what, what, what they created. Uh, and and it, it, it's a different feel than, than other comic cons and conventions that I've been to. Yeah. So let me <clears throat> pull some of that together and then um, throw out another uh, question or comment. So Nicole, I, I love how you were like, you know what? I've actually, I've had to kind of find my path over here, you know, um, kind of black masculinity in comics and then how that m- allows me to think of complexly about identity in general as someone, you know, that not seen in the Latinx comic books. And, um, SoulCon, to kind of play off Chris's comment, is this sort of space where we're all equal, but also where we bring in kiddos. Because <laughs> you know what, Columbus, yes. I noticed, you guys know, I mean, we see this across the nation. We see this all over. Our African-American brothers and sisters yep. and our Latinx communities, families, there's no common space for us to learn, to heal to find common ground, to affirm difference. Um, and what better space than comics and, you know, kids, right? Finding their way to affirm their own stories and journeys yeah. in and through comics. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it's that uh, coming back to that power of the visual, right? Um, when a kid sees perhaps someone in a, in a comic book that looks like them or has some kind of affinity with their own identity, it's life-changing. Uh, it, it, and, 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 you know, uh, there, there are many people, um, out, out there that, that I'm sure can, can point to a specific comic or even a film and said, when I saw that film and I saw that character, or I read that comic book and I saw this character, it validated me in a way that my parents never could, not the parents don't, but it valid, it's almost, a, it's a cultural societal validation that you matter and that you exist and that you're not alone. And so, uh, I'm, I, I appreciate you bringing that, that particular point up, Frederick, about this as a kind of way to build community, to, to foster that kind of, I think the word you said was healing, right? This is an opportunity to heal, um, and these traumas linger, right? Uh, and so, I, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's just a wonderful example of, of, you know, community coming together and little ones, as you said, are able to see this and then make it a part of their own world. Peyton and Nicole, I want to kind of throw out a final question. One, the other day, about a week ago, I bumped into... Um, a student who had come to campus for our Latinx Role Models Day. Mm -hmm. And he's now a, um, an undergraduate at Otterbein. Mm. His name is Alex. And I love this moment because he said, you know, Dr. Aldama, when I went to Latinx Role Models Day, it was the first time that I saw someone, a professor, who looked like me up on the stage. And I love that moment because we actually look very different. But what he was actually putting his finger on is the fact that my sharing my experience was what he identified with. I might be, you know, my phenotype is different, my hair, all of that stuff. But what he was actually identifying was something deeper than that. And I think, I don't know, Peyton and Nicole, maybe we can, you guys can close um, our podcast here. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that kind of something that I've been thinking about has been the relationship between visuality and visibility. And I don't think that those are always, um, they don't have to be the same. So in regards to like seeing someone that looks like you, that can be that can be physical and it can be i i see i like visibly see you um like in a like teveo kind of like deeper way um and i think that that can be really powerful i didn't have um any latinx professor until my senior year of college and when i finally did i latched on um and I think that that can be super powerful to I think that that's the role of imagination and why comics and visibility mean so much because it's hard to imagine yourself in a space that you've never seen anyone that you relate to before. Um, like I never would have considered like little kid Peyton would have never <laughs> been like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be sitting in a room with like some really awesome people talking about 
Latinx comics. Mm -hmm. Um, But here I am because, you know, seeing some person latching on to them, having them expand your network and build, help you build the community that you want to be in. um, I think that's super important. And I'm really grateful to SoulCon providing that for these kids. Yeah. um, So it's it's weird for me to answer the question because I'm thinking about two very particular things. I'm thinking about the fact that so um, I moved to the United States just for grad school. So I've only been in the U.S. for like less than five years. Um, And I went from feeling like I was you know, with my friends, they all look like me. We all look the same, whatever. Uh, the professors in my undergrad look like me um, to, oh, damn. I'm like, shit, the only black person in this room. Okay. <laughs> okay. And not not only do they see me as black, but I'm also Latina, which mm. they don't know, of course, but whatever. So there's, right, um, this whole situation of having to find that community, like these five years that I've been here trying to build it. Um and it looks very different from my community back home, but it's richer in that sense that people are coming from different spaces. And <clears throat> uh, so when you all started talking about, oh, um, it doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're Latino, like having this space that is SoulCon um, made me think, sorry that I keep taking things back to film. That's like my mm-hmm. area. I'm sorry. Um, there's a scene in Do the Right Thing and Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing where um, – Black people in the community, as well as like Puerto Rican uh, people in the community, hold up a Black Panther comic, and they're like, "If Black Panther eats pizza, we all eat pizza." And so mm-hmm. it's this is the pizza, <laughs> like Salcon mm-hmm. is our pizza. Um, it is this space that we all get to feel safe and explore our different identities. And I don't know, like it mm-hmm. it, it means a lot to be doing it in a R one university. It means a lot to be doing it in Ohio, mm-hmm. of all places, yeah. right? <clears throat> So not only the space where you get to explore this and present it and be proud of it, but where you get to feel safe and like proud and mm-hmm. celebrate it for doing so. Yay, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, Chris, uh, Nicole, Peyton, thank you for joining me for thank you. this thank podcast, you. Professor yeah, Latinx. Of course, thank, thank you. you. <laughs>